Well, night four of Equipped. Thank you so much for being here. Four Wednesdays in a row. I love it when uh, the church meets every week beyond Sunday morning. I don't know about you guys, but I grew up Sunday morning, Sunday night church, Wednesday night church, and I'm pretty sure we were at what we call fellowship groups back then during the week. Church, 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 church. Uh, but boy, I, I do love these times that the Lord gives us, and we don't take your presence here uh, for granted. We think it's appropriate. We think it's good and right. We think it's expression of your church membership, but we don't take it for granted. And so we are grateful that you guys uh, are are here. Um, before we get going, it's our last uh, week, and so I just want to make sure, Sierra, don't go anywhere, that Sierra and Tom and who else, who else has had a hand in this besides you and Tom? Everybody who's been setting down, setting up chairs on Sunday morning and uh, tearing it down. But... <clears throat> Excellent. So John and Elijah, Tom, and in particular, Sierra, can we just thank them? Uh, when these kind of things uh, come up on the calendar, uh, the rest of Sierra's responsibilities don't just get put on pause. And so she does everything that she does for the, these kind of gatherings on top of her responsibilities that typically take up the two days that she's working in the office. So thank you, Sierra. And I don't see Alex, but tell him thank you for releasing you to help us uh, pull this off. Um, can I ask a quick question? Who here has been aware, more aware, maybe I should say, of your speech this week? I certainly have. Um, you know, we looked at parenting in the first week, particularly just the, the priority, I think, now in parenting for parents to be discipling their kids and helping them understand the dangers of child abuse, sex abuse in particular. Uh, then after that, uh, Tom talked about evangelism. I was unable to be here. Uh, Tim talked about evangelism, uh, something we always want to be growing in. And then last week, Tom talked about the tongue. I just know myself... I have been aware this week, uh, just as I have talked to others, uh, and just just experiencing the Spirit's presence. Uh, that's all I can say. And so, thank you for that, Tom. Tim, thank you for what you taught on evangelism. Uh, tonight, we're going to be talking about giving. Uh, but before we begin, I'm going to pray. Does that sound good? We're actually got a, really one teaching. A little bit like Tom did last week, we'll break it uh, up into two parts, and then we are going to uh, break up into community groups, and we're actually going to pray. We're going to take some time and pray as small groups for all the, the topics that have been discussed uh, at, at Equip this year, and then don't go anywhere because we have killer ice cream sundays uh, to just put an exclamation point of God's goodness on our month, and there are fewer ways that we could put an exclamation point on God's goodness than ice cream sundays. It's a great way to celebrate. So let's pray. Lord, thank you for gathering us here tonight. We're here by your grace. You have led us here. Thank you for this church, these people. Thank you for their eagerness to want to grow and learn. 
Lord, we pray for those who aren't with us for whatever reason. Uh, prior engagements, they're not feeling well. Uh, whatever it may be, may they know your presence. Uh, may they be aware that you are with them, that you love them, that you uh, have so many promises for them that are yes and amen in Christ Jesus, and that you will see them through to the end, that day when we meet our Savior face to face. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, the title of the lesson tonight is A Treasure Mentality, and I just want to tell you right up front, uh, I really have taken this material, uh, at least in its general idea, from this little book right here, the very first chapter, The Treasure Principle by Randy Alcorn. There are just some books like The Cross-Centered Life that you just read at least once a year. This is one of those books. I think every year we've sought to do something from this book in preparing uh, and uh, just ongoing discipleship and teaching in terms of how we relate to and view uh, the money and possessions that God has graciously given to us. And so if you haven't read this uh, in a while or you never read it, um, I encourage you to get it. Uh, read it. Read it over the next several weeks. It's not a hard read. It is a challenging read. <laughs> um, but you will be blessed and you will be the better. You will have a firmer grasp on all that God's word teaches about um, how we view our money and possessions. I'm going to begin in this book tonight, so if you'll just bear with me and listen to a brief story. It goes like this. A first century Hebrew walks alone on a hot afternoon, staff in hand. His shoulders are stooped, sandals covered with dirt, tunic stained with sweat, but he doesn't stop to rest. He has pressing business in the city. He veers off the road into a field seeking a shortcut. The owners won't mind. Travelers are permitted this courtesy. The field is uneven, so to keep his balance, he thrusts his staff into the dirt. Thunk. The staff strikes something hard. He stops, wipes his brow, and pokes again, thunk. Something's under there, and it's not a rock. The weary traveler tells himself that he can't afford to linger, but his curiosity won't let him go. He jabs at the ground. Something reflects of silver off the sunlight, so he drops to his knees and starts digging. Five minutes later, he uncovered it, a case fringed in gold. By the looks of it, it's been there for decades. Heart racing, he pries off the, the rusty lock and opens the lid. Gold coins, jewelry, precious stones of every color, a treasure more valuable than anything he's ever imagined. Hands shaking, the, the traveler inspects the coins issued in Rome over 70 years ago. Some wealthy man must have buried the case and died suddenly, the secret of the treasure's location dying with him. There's no homestead nearby. Surely the current landowner has no clue that the treasure's here. So the traveler closes the lid, buries the chest, 
and marks the spot. Turns around heading home. Only now he's not plotting. He's skipping like a little boy, smiling broadly. What a find. Unbelievable. I've got to have that treasure. But I can't just take it. That would be stealing. Whoever, wants to, whoever owns the field owns what's in it. But how can I afford to buy it? I'll sell my farm, my crops, all my tools, my prize oxen. Yes, if I sell everything, that should be enough. From the moment of his discovery, the traveler's life changes. The treasures capture his imagination, becomes the stuff of his dreams. It's his reference point, his new center of gravity. The traveler takes every new step with this treasure in mind. He experiences a radical paradigm shift. I'm sure it's evident to you by now, this story is Randy Alcorn's rendering of Jesus' parable in Matthew 13. You know the parable, I'm sure. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hid in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. God created us as treasure hunters. And in the gospel, the greatest treasure of all is ours, Jesus himself. John Piper explains this treasure hunting mentality like this. The kingdom of God is so valuable that losing everything on earth but getting the kingdom is a happy trade-off. Having the omnipotent saving reign of Christ in our lives is so valuable that if we lose everything in order to save it, it is a joyful sacrifice. Well, tonight we are preparing for our annual April offering. Typically every year we do something in some way to prepare the church for this special offering that we take once a year. This year we are using this final session. We won't be doing anything on Sunday mornings. Won't be doing anything in your community groups unless your community group leader feels like that would be a good thing. But this is how we are preparing Tonight is how we are preparing for our annual April offering. That offering that we give every April, the end of April, above and beyond our normal tithes. And whenever I think about that offering, whenever I think about the history of that offering, my first thought is, what a generous church we have. What a generous church you are. In one sense, your pastors are very aware, as Paul wrote to the Thessalonians about love, in regard to love, you really have no need to be taught because you thrive in loving one another. And then he says, but still, <laughs> grow even more. That's how we feel about you and, and talking about giving, generous giving to something like our April offering. You excel in this grace. No doubt about it. 
My ultimate thought when I consider the annual April offering is what an amazing Savior. What a generous church. And of course, that is the result of an amazing Savior that we have. The treasure mentality of the traveler in Jesus' parable is ours as well for one reason and one reason alone. The gospel has come to us. Everything that you hear tonight is possible because Christ has saved us. The gospel has come to us. We have believed, and now we are, rad- we are radically different than before we believed. We heard it last week. We, we can, we, our speech can, can be different than, than the way we spoke before we were Christians because we have this, well, we have Jesus living and reigning in our hearts, and he is our everything. He, he is our all in all. He is our all-satisfying treasure because the gospel has come to us, and by grace through faith we have believed Jesus now rules in our minds and in our hearts. And yes, that rule extends to our pocketbooks even. And there's only one explanation for that. (laughs) The power of Christ at work in his people. The offering isn't for 10 weeks, but we're here tonight because we believe God wants to be to begin preparing our hearts now so that our participation will reflect hearts that like this man who found the treasure, treasure Christ and his church above all other treasures in this world. Now, for some tonight will be a reminder that reinforces and perhaps even refreshes your your treasure mentality that, that you've lived with for years. For others, tonight may, like it was for me at one time, tonight may be a radical paradigm shift. (laughs) Whether you are, uh, wherever you are, you can be sure that you haven't arrived, though. The most generous giver in this room tonight can be still more generous. The, The most stingy giver in this, the person who's never given can be a generous giver tonight as a result of giving yourselves to the Christ of this teaching. And so that means that God intends something for everyone tonight. Nobody here can say, you know, I've really been a rock-solid model over the years. I hope this is landing on so-and-so's heart. (laughs) No, the Lord has something for all of us. And... His work begins with his word. Scripture makes a profound connection between our faith and our finances. It's a reminder that that God cares about how we relate to money and possessions. He's spoken over the matter. And yet, there, there can be a tendency in all of us to believe in the authority of God's word, to believe in the sufficiency of God's word, that indeed it is profitable for all things. And yet, 
we are all vulnerable to a tendency to pick up the Bible when we want to learn about love and grace and to put down the Bible when it comes to money and possessions. And doesn't the world have a lot to say (laughs) about money? Whether it's the Wall Street Journal, if you read that, no condemnation. (laughs) Whether it's books like Rich Dad, Poor Dad, that's on your bookshelf, that's okay. Or it's the Dave Ramsey show that that pumps into our, into our head on the commute all day long, wherever you have it playing. There's nothing wrong with those sources. They have a part to play, but, but the part they play must never speak louder than Scripture. And Scripture speaks loudly about our faith and finances. Did you know, did you know, if you've read this, you will know, If you've read Randy Alcorn's book, Money, Possessions, Attorney, you will know. Or probably if you've ever ever heard any teaching on giving, you'll probably know this. 15% of Jesus' words focused on money and possessions. Jesus taught about money and possessions more than any other topic, including faith and prayer, heaven and hell. Uh, One study showed over 2,300 verses in the Bible that in some way addressed money and possessions, attitude toward money and possessions. Now, I've seen, I have seen that report, and I will admit some of them are a bit of a stretch. There's a loose connection, Uh, but nonetheless, um, that's a whole lot of verses. Just take a quarter of those verses. And as we read what the Bible has to say about money and possessions, it tends to be radical in nature. It tends to to have a bit of a shock value for us. And that can lead to guilt. That can lead to guilt. Randy Alcorn says, when it comes to money in the Bible, it interferes with our lives and commits the unpardonable sin. It makes us feel guilty. If we want to avoid guilty feelings, it forces us to invent fancy interpretations to get around its plain meaning. It reminds me of a phrase that I didn't create it. I got it somewhere that that I used when I was teaching the when I, when I was teaching the, the high school, homeschool, how to read your Bible class a few years ago. Many, many wonderful things in Scripture I see, many of them, put, most of them put there by you and me. We can do that when it comes to reading our Bible and what it says about money. And I, I think that guilt comes because we know in our conscience how profound the connection between our faith and our finances truly is. Richard Halverson says, Jesus Christ said more about money than about any other single thing because when it comes to a man's real nature, money is of first importance. Money is an exact, that's a strong word, but he says money is an exact index to a man's true character. If that sounds far-fetched, I would submit it's not that far-fetched, at least not according to Jesus, who said things like this in Matthew 6, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. 
No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. In Matthew 19, and Jesus said to his disciples, truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Boy, radical things that Jesus said. You know, when Jesus, uh, when Jesus uh, told his disciples what we just read there in Matthew 19, you know what the very next verse, I think verse 25 says? The disciples heard this and they were greatly astonished. In other words, whoa. Jesus said radical things about how we view and relate to money and possessions. And I think that's because Jesus knows the heart. Remember that little picture that Tom drew? I don't think he gave his son Alex his drawing gift. No. Sorry, Tom. Did that come from his mom? From it was actually pretty good. It was way better than any of the things I've ever done. But you remember that? It's the same. We could just roll that thing up here tonight and leave it sit right here again. Because all of tonight is not really about dollars and dollar signs. It's about the heart. And Jesus knows the heart. When I got saved, 27 years old, I was a lover of money. My goal was to make money. I was in the beginning of my real estate career, and I was not making any money, but I was going to make money. I was going to retire early. That was my goal, to make as much money as I could. In one sense, it was to prove myself to people around me. That was what I wanted to do. Money, money, money. You know the song. Some people same age I am. <laughs> Money. Do, do, do. We should have had that plane as everybody came in this morning. I wanted to make money. Money was the measure for me. And so in the kind providence of God, one of the very first books he led me to read when I became a believer was Randy Alcorn's, Treasure Principle wasn't out yet, Money, possessions, and eternity. Whoo, did that, I was astonished as I read that. If you've never read that, I encourage you to read it, but be careful because you may turn around and make drastic changes in your life. I canceled my cable, I canceled my newspaper subscription. Yeah, we had those back then. I mean, my heart was full of legalism and guilt, no doubt, but I was changing things. It was a paradigm shift for me. But the Lord knew what my heart needed. There's this newly saved young man, and the Lord immediately went out, went after the biggest idol I had. Money. Stuff. Believe it or not, I think I sold my motorcycle too. Not because of that, though. God knew my heart. And I think that's why Scripture has so much to say about money and possessions. He knows our idols of immediate gratification. 
God knows our lust for the pleasure and the power and the respect that money can bring in this world. God knows the anxieties of, the, of insecurity that lead us to, to operate independently of him because if it's going to happen, then I've got to make it happen. Money has a way of, of bringing out the self-worship and, 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 and self-sufficiency. God knows our hearts. And as we'll see in a few minutes, like last week's teaching on the tongue, our disposition toward money and possessions is about the heart. But here's what I want to anchor us in before we take a break. I want to anchor us in Romans Romans 8, 1. God knows our heart. And Romans 8, 1 screams into our sinful attitudes by reminding us there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Every sin, past, present, and future, yes, even the sin of greed and selfishness, and the idolatry of money and things, it has been nailed to a tree (laughs) where a man hung and became a curse for us. He took the punishment. He bore our sin and absorbed God's wrath for that sin. And that means that Jesus has redeemed you from the penalty of your sin. And he has removed the power of sin. It no longer has power over you. If you're wondering, how can I be more generous? I'm just a selfish guy who was raised that way. No, the cross broke the power of sin And so that means that you don't have to be astonished tonight. You don't have to leave here guilty tonight. You don't have to leave here condemned tonight. You don't have to leave here hopeless tonight. You don't have to leave here indifferent tonight. Instead, we can be honest about our hearts. We can repent where repentance is needed. We can give thanks for God's grace where we see it at work in our lives. And we can have assurance that the Spirit is mercifully and successfully renewing us day by day to treasure Christ as we ought, even in our mentality toward money and possessions. So tonight we're going to approach this topic not defensively, but gratefully. Not guilty, but excited. Not indifferent, but hopeful. Amen? So let's pray. We'll take a short break, and then we'll come back and... uh, look at uh, what's next. Lord, I pray that even as we go get a drink and and say hello and grab some grub, uh, Lord, just wash (laughs) the truth of the gospel over our hearts. Lord, everything that will be said uh, in the next session, 
I pray that, that it would be interpreted through the lens of our great treasure, Jesus Christ. I pray that, that the, the blessings and realities of the gospel that are ours today, Lord, that that, that is what would be our motivation. It, it is why we would embrace your word and all that it has to say for our lives in this area. Spirit of God, you alone can do that. So I ask now that you do cover us in the grace of the gospel so that we will be motivated by what you've already done for us. You are the inexpressible gift, the great treasure that we not do not deserve, and yet here we are in full possession of it. In Jesus' name, amen.